Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Today we're going to be talking about big changes. You ever had a big change in your life? Uh, probably one of the biggest changes that, that I've ever done is uh, not just whenever I became a minister, but when I moved to Colorado. I'd, I'd never lived in another state before and picked up my family and moved up here without a job. And Well, I, had, uh, I did have a job, but they told me I could keep my job if I, they cut my pay in half and all things. But there's big changes in your life. And I remember probably the, the craziest changes that you don't think about when you move to another state is not only did I have a change in the, in the state that I lived in, but there, there's a different elevation here. I mean, I went from, from a place that contained oxygen to a place that it's in short supply. And that is kind of a big deal for a, for an asthmatic. I mean, like I have asthma bad. I was telling, I was telling Cammie the other day, I remember, and it wasn't that long ago, probably about 15 years ago, that I had tears in my eyes for the first time because I finally got on a medication that regulated my asthma instead of just a, a rescue inhaler. And I remember getting tears in my eyes the very first time I was ever out of breath. I'd never in my entire 23 years ever been out of breath without having asthma. And I remember when my asthma was controlled. So, you know, this elevation was a big deal whenever I moved up here. Uh, the climate is a, is, whew, it's a lot different than where I came from. But even the ethnicity, I remember sitting at a, at a restaurant about two weeks after we got here and someone asked me, they said, well, what do you think about Colorado so far? And I said, it's really, I mean, it's beautiful compared to where I came from. If you're looking at an aesthetic type situation, I said, but um, I, I love it up here. It's beautiful. But I've never been around this many white people in all my life. I mean, uh, where I came, I mean, my son was the only white kid on a 42 person school bus. Right. I mean, like I was raised with. Uh, nearly 90% Hispanic. That's why I speak Spanish and everything. So it was a, it was a crazy big change in a lot of ways, not just the state. But I got to thinking this morning whenever I put this jacket on that there was another big change about this time, uh, years and years ago is, uh, I needed some money for Christmas because part of, well, the worst hood in the world is adulthood, right? You stay away, out, stay out of that hood, right? That's a dangerous hood. But anyway, when you get to be an adult, you got to buy your own Christmas presents. And I didn't have any money, so I went and got a, you know, those seasonal jobs. And I had, I was tired of seasonal jobs of manual labor. I went to the mall. I went to the mall. And you know what job I got? I sold Men's suits at Dillard's. I did. I did. And I'll never forget this guy came in. It was the first jacket I sold. He come in. And uh, anyway, we're, we're looking around and everything. And I'm trying to help him out and all of this stuff. And of course, you know, I know how to measure, you know, like what size you are and everything. So put it on. And we got these like four-way mirrors, you know, that you can see every angle and everything like that. And he's like, man, I really like this. I said, dude, it looks good on you. And he said, well, uh, can you take up the sleeves so this thing fits better? And I said, sir, I don't sell a jacket that fits. I said, I sell a jacket that changes. 
So it changes your style, changes your swagger, changes your confidence, changes your outlook. Might I dare say, changes your life. He said, you don't know how, you don't know how to do this, do you? I said, no. <laughs> and he still bought it. <laughs> big changes, big changes. But nobody had a bigger change. Nobody had a bigger change in her life than a woman named Rahab. Now, the story of Rahab, we pick up that, you know, these millions of Israelites, okay? When, when you hear the, when you hear the story of Rahab and you hear that, that the Israelites are camped on the other side of the Jordan, which Jericho's just right there on the uh, west bank of the Jordan, basically. I mean, it's not a very far walk at all in the grand scheme of things. And they hear that there's millions of these Israelites that's fixing to come across and wipe them out. And, and Jericho's a walled city and everything, but it ain't, it ain't millions right? So Joshua sends two spies to get some intel in Jericho. So they go in there and uh, the spies do, and they go and they look around and then they end up at a prostitute's house named Rahab, okay? Rahab is a prostitute, but she's not just a prostitute. They they have, they were multitasking, uh, maybe... She was a network marketer because she was a prostitute, number one, but they also had a hotel, right? Because those two things kind of go together, okay? And, but they also, when you read the story of Rahab, there was a bunch of flax on the, on the, on the roof of the house that she hid the spies under the Israelite spies. And so in doing my research, flax was often used in the making of linen. And her entire family lives here. You think you have a dysfunctional family. I wonder, <laughs> you know, but there's these two spies. Rahab hides the spies because she says, we know who you are. You're the Israelites. We have heard that God parted the Red Sea so that y'all could get away from the most powerful nation on earth. We know that y'all are coming to Canaan, and we know that you are going to occupy this land. If I help you, will you save me and my family? And the spies basically say yes. They say, okay, we're going to take this city. There's no doubt about it. But what you need to do is you need to hang a scarlet uh, rope, basically, outside your window so that whenever we come into the town, anybody that's still in your house will be saved. But if you go out into the streets, we ain't going to know who you are. So as long as you stay right here in this thread or this piece of rope is hanging out your window, you'll be fine. She says, okay. Her and her whole family are rescued. The story of Rahab. What happens when big changes happen in your life? Today, we're going to talk about the essentials of big change. What must happen for God to work big changes in your life? What can you expect? Are there any guidelines? Can we look for some biblical guidance on preparing us for possibly a big change in our lives? I don't think that we can visit the story of a prostitute named Rahab that ends up being in the lineage and ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. I don't think that we can go into her story without starting with the fact that she was a prostitute. See, God starts, if there's going to be an essential to big change in your life, I want you to know one thing. 
God starts that big change in your life right where you are. Right where you are. See, a lot of times I think that there's always some changes that we know we need to make in our lives, right? I mean, sitting here right now, if I ask you, what's one change that you probably need to make in your life that you know will draw you closer to God? You could probably come up with something right there. But see, a lot of times people put off the big changes in their lives because they wait on this mythological concept called ready, (laughs) right? Well, when I'm ready, then I'll do it. Let me let you in on something. You're never going to be ready for anything, okay? You're never going to be ready. That, That concept, to think that we are ready, we're never ready, never ready. I don't care how many battery commercials called Ever Ready that you've listened to, we're not the Energizer Bunny, okay? There, there's no such thing as ever being ready. And here, but here's the bigger point to that. God doesn't expect you to be. He doesn't expect you to, to like, he says, okay, I'm going to love you if you can get to this point right here. I'll love you starting there. No, God wants to start the big change in your life exactly where you are. And it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how far you've run from God. It doesn't matter what has happened over the past few years. You know, Rahab's just trying to survive, right? God doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're ready. God starts where you are. He's not waiting on you to change before he loves you. His loving you right now is where the change starts. So often we think, well, I'll start doing this and I'm going to start doing that. And, and here's the bad part about that mythological concept of, of being ready or, or I'm going to start that when this occurs. See, when we think about making a change, it releases dopamine in our minds. And when we talk about it, we kind of get the same feeling as if we'd actually done it. And that right there is the reason that you've known all this time that you needed to make a change in your life and you've thought about it and you've thought about it and you've thought about it and you've never done it. That's why. Because in your mind, you've already lived that, but you haven't really done anything. That's why you're still thinking about it. You keep waiting on something to happen that's going to kick off this big change. But God doesn't care anything about that. He, he says, I love you right now. Now, that doesn't mean that he likes everything in your life. That, that's not it. But he says, I love you right now. He doesn't put any qualifiers. I love you because of this and this and this. And, and, and I would love you more if you did this. He doesn't do that. He just says, I love you right now. And I'm here for you right now. And I don't care about anything you've done in the past. I care about right now. The essentials of big change. The only when that matters. And so often, as I've already said, so often we think, you know what? I'll I'll start reading my Bible when I'm not so tired at night. Well, I won't be so tired at night when I start working out at the first of the year like I've been talking about for 20 years now, right? There's always these whens. The only when that matters to God is the when that refers to right now, right now. 
the essentials of a big change. God starts where you are. God cares about right now. The second essential of a big change is the risk of the reward. The risk of the reward. What will you risk? What would you risk to have everything that God promised? And you can't say everything unless you've already given everything. Where's your limit? What will you not give up for the reward that God has promised us, right? And when I say about reward, I'm not talking about a tangible reward. Maybe I'm talking about just that close fellowship with God, of being one with Him, abiding in Him as He abides in us. What will you risk in order to have everything that God promised? Well, I think Rahab shows us really the risk of the reward. Because when we think about what she gave up, probably the least of what she gave up was her home. You ever lost your home? Have literally nowhere to go? Rahab knows when she shelters these spies, when she helps them, and when they come in and they attack Jericho, that she is not going to have a home anymore. What will you risk for God's promises? Rahab's decision meant that she was going to lose everything. She was going to lose her home. She was going to lose her furniture. Um, you know, man, she, she's fixing to lose it all. And she still makes the choice to help. Not only did she lose her home, <laughs> they're in the Israelite camp, seeing that the Ten Commandments are only 40 years old, and they were living under the law with very, very harsh penalties, like there's a lot of stuff, you know, you do this, you die, Right? And it had already happened. A lot of people had already been killed because of the stupid stuff that they did, right? Well, listen, I don't know a lot about daily life in the Israelite army, in the Israelite camp, but I can assure you that after God rescued them and they, you know, eaten manna in the desert and all of these other wonderful miracles, the one thing that I can nearly guarantee is there the position of prostitute in the Israelite army was not available, okay? I mean, she's losing her income. She's losing everything. And I know, and you know what? We're all adults here, right? And we have to talk about these hard things because these hard things are important. She is making big changes. And these changes, even though she's losing all of this, we know from the end of the story of how much she gains, She's losing her home. She's losing her job as a, as a prostitute, as a motel owner, as a, as, you know, they, they spin flax into, into linen. And, and maybe they can do that, but they're not going to be able to take their flax with them. And how do I know that? Because the Bible says that God had commanded the Israelites to basically wipe Jericho off the map. No one, nothing survived unless it was basically loot that would go into the temple that would be built for the tabernacle, I should say, not temple. Everything's going to be, I mean, scorched earth, okay? 
This is dropping a nuclear Israelite bomb on the city of Jericho. She's not just losing her home. She's losing everything. How much are we willing to risk for the reward of a relationship with God? Not only did she lose her home, her sources of income, at least in the way that she had known them at that point, but also her reputation. And you know, I got to thinking about what would a prostitute's reputation be like? Well, you know, in today's society, unfortunately, the way the world looks, the only reputation worse than a prostitute might be the reputation of an authentic follower of Christ. Would you give up your reputation to follow God? The easy answer is yes. Come talk to me about what it feels like to lose really close friends because of your relationship with God. Come talk to Ty about how hard it is to uh, break away from the religion you were raised in, right? Go talk to my wife about that as well. Would you, would you give up your reputation? Or knowing you would gain one. How many times y'all been called Bible thumpers? You know, just all that. Oh, you a Jesus freak. You dang right. You dang right I am. Right? Your reputation. The risk of the reward. Seriously. This is going to be so easy for me to say, but just because it's easy for me to say doesn't make it untrue. Because I think, I think that in the grand scheme of things, the truth is actually pretty simple. When you get to heaven, I will tell you that the first three seconds when you see Jesus face to face, when you are in the true presence of God Almighty, if there is, which I don't think that there is, but I think that there will be a thought in our mind that we would have given everything up every single day for three seconds in God's presence. Everything that you're holding on to right now is meaningless. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, it's meaningless. Your home, your reputation, how you earn a living. Man, that's just stuff that we kind of got to do in the hood, right? Right? In the hood, that's what we got to do. What would you give up for the kingdom of God? And finally, well, let me say this about giving something up. Faith isn't a feeling. You got to have faith to give stuff up and follow God. You got to have the faith. But faith isn't a feeling. It's a response to the love of God. It's a response. And how have you responded to that love? And finally, big changes don't happen with small efforts. I mean, I, I, I hear, we were talking about the Long Ranch Cowboys this morning. And honestly, a little bit of my frustration. Um, with, you know, trying to, to, to bring people along and sometimes it acts like people don't care. And I know that that's not the case. I know that my mic is not participating with me very well. But um, anyway, big changes don't happen with small efforts. The Bible says you reap what you sow. If you sow a little, you reap a little. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. Right? You get out of it what you put into it, or maybe we could say you get out of it what you give up for it. Right? And finally, the third essential of a big change that we can learn from the life of Rahab is that faith is contagious. Faith is contagious. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, Rahab says this. Now, therefore, I beg you, this is Rahab talking to the Israelite spies, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, 
since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Your big change in faith is going to affect others. Rahab single-handedly saved her entire family, single-handedly. A prostitute that lived in the slums, her house was built in between the outer wall and the inner wall. She saved her whole family because she recognized who the one true God was. And your big change in life, that change affects others. When the power of God is in a home, no one can remain unchanged. You've heard me say it before, and I'll continue to say it. You cannot come face to face with the living God and remain unchanged. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all Skittles and rainbows, okay? That's not, that's not what it is, okay? Because here's the sad part about it. Some people come face to face with the love of God and reject it. They're worse off, but God gave us free will. When the power of God is in a home, no one can remain unchanged for good or bad. See, that's what God does is he institutes change. He institutes a, a Christ-likeness for those of us that follow him, that, that, that a, attempt to be holy because he is holy, right? We move forward, and sometimes it's three steps forward, four steps back with two big jumps and a fall down on your face. That's kind of the way my journey goes. I don't know about yours. Faith is contagious. You might just be here today to institute a massive change. If you were waiting on the proverbial baseball bat that you know that you should be doing some things, that there's some changes that you need to make, some, maybe some ways that you've been slipping and sliding and, and making excuses and all of that, but, but God is just still, you know, God doesn't really work with baseball bats, just so y'all know. God doesn't usually work with baseball bats, but I guarantee you what he does do is he puts his finger about right here and he don't let up until you give in, right? So if you've been feeling just that slight little pressure that it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get away from it, but it's still in your mind that you need to be doing this and doing this, and maybe not doing a bunch of different things, but maybe there's a big change that you need to make. Maybe it's diving into the word a little more. Maybe it's prayer life. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's reconnecting with somebody. Maybe it's forgiveness. There's, there's a whole slew of things that I'm sure if you're listening, God is probably talking to you about. And you might just be here today as a little kick in the Wrangler pockets to institute that massive change, not just for you, but for those around you, for those around you. And in Joshua chapter 6, we kind of come to the end of Rahab's story. Joshua 6, verse 25. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she still lives among the Israelites today. That's what the Bible says. Think about that. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And she lives among the Israelites this day. Now, I actually looked for this and I did not find it. So it could be just conjecture. But there was an old wives' tale. There was an old wives' tale that uh, Rahab ends up marrying and having kids. She had to. She's in the lineage of Christ, right? She marries a guy named Salmon, just, just like it sounds, just like the fish. His name is Salmon. And an old wives' tale that I read one time, and I don't remember where I read it, 
was that he was one of the two spies. And even if it's not true, I like the imagery of that because that means he married her and he saw where she was. Does that make sense? He went there and saw who she was and still married her. And their son would be a guy named Boaz. We'll talk about Boaz next week and how he helps two ladies named Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz has a son, and that guy has a son named Jesse. And Jesse, whose grandmother was Rahab the prostitute, Jesse has a son named David. As we continue on with pedigree of a king, the essentials of a big change, I hope that you have learned something applicable today with the life of Rahab. Here's a final thought. If you feel like God is pushing you towards a big change, run towards it. Run towards it. The only survivors of Jericho were Rahab and her family. And what if she would have ignored that call to faith? Things would have been much different. Oh, and just so you know, big changes are the result of small acts of continual faith. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for the life uh, of how you continue to amaze us that in the lineage of the Messiah, the Savior of the Israel and Gentile people of lowly beginnings, salt of the earth, of even prostitutes that can become pillars of faith. And God, if they can do it, they were just normal people like us. We tend to make them out into these great big heroes, but she was just a lady trying her best to survive much as we are doing, but just as much as we are doing and surviving like she did, let us also have the faith that she did and have big changes in our lives so we can affect others and get to know you better. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.